0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, with that, are you ready? For the Gospel of Matthew, if you have a Bible, let's open it to Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to continue uh, a message that I started last week and... um, There are some very, very exciting and powerful things in this passage, because Jesus is beginning already to turn the ministry over from Him doing everything to now passing it on to the disciples. And I want you to pay very special attention to this study, because I believe that um, this is more than just looking at what Jesus did, He's the Son of God, and and then to the disciples, well, they're the apostles and irreplaceable, and sometimes we study it as history and go, good for them, Jesus is the Messiah, Savior, and the disciples laid the, you know, the foundation. But I believe there's an application for us uh, for such a time as this. So let's pray for this. Gracious Heavenly Father, may, may we have ears to hear what You want to say, and Lord, I confess My deep desire for the ministry of the Spirit, uh, to speak to hearts and to touch hearts Mm -hmm. and and honestly, Lord, to translate. My words are inadequate. Um, uh, Even the thoughts that I've had in the time of study and prayer, I cannot convey it completely. So, Lord, I thank you that we all have, that our believers, the Holy Spirit within us, that reveals Christ, that takes us to Jesus, uh, that reveals the truth. And then you have a way of personalizing it so that everybody will be able to hear it with their own personality, their own ways of thinking. And, and so we, I pray for the Holy Spirit, plant this seed deeply in the minds and hearts of everyone here today. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said… Amen. The first thing that I want to note is, and Jesus sent them, and the corollary to that is, and Jesus is sending you and I today. So beginning of verse 1, it says, and when he had called his 12, 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. And again, underline the word power. If you were here last week, hopefully you have done that. Power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these first Simon who's called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. So as we mentioned the list of the disciples always begins with Peter and it always includes two sets of brothers and I believe this is much in the heart of God. He he likes say, to save families. Now you may be the only one in your family saved right now, or the first one, I like to say, saved in your family, but God loves to save families. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He wants everybody in the family to come. Uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of uh, uh, Alphaeus uh, and Labaius, whose nickname was Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and then Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, these twelve Uh, Jesus sent out and commanded them. I want you to underline that phrase. He commanded them. Because I believe there is a command of the Scriptures today. There is a sending and a commanding of Jesus to you and I for our generation and for our time. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather. So he's giving them specific detail of what they're sent right now at the moment to do. Uh, Do not go to the Gentiles, verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So as I mentioned, Jesus has been going around the region of Galilee and northern Israel preaching and healing the sick with miraculous power. But now he stops, he pivots, and with very conscious effort says, I'm handing off the work of the ministry and the sharing of who I am, the king, and what I have come to bring, the kingdom, and to expand this work. It was never the intention of God that Jesus alone would go preach to every human being or heal every human being or deliver every human being, but he came to multiply himself among others. And that's what the 12 were now sent out to do. Now listen, they obeyed, his command, And we are thankful that they obeyed His command because when He sent them out and they passed it on, you realize that's how Christianity has lasted for 2,000 years. So our generation, just because you're saved, hey, good for you, and you're going to heaven, but what about the next generation, the, the young people? We need, to, we need to pass on. We need to be doing what God's called us to do, but at the same time passing on to the next generation— so, for those of you that are the millennials who are here listening to this, listening to it uh, by radio or watching online or wherever you may be, by the way, I met a guy, I think his name was Michael, he goes, hi, Pastor Ray, I wanted to meet you, my name is Michael, just so you know, my wife is watching live in Norway, so let's wave to his wife in Norway, whatever. I didn't know the back row went all the way to Norway, but it does apparently. Anyway, millennials. This is your hour. This is your time. Everything that our generation has been given and blessed with, hallelujah, thank the Lord, but we are now, you know, lovingly, willingly, intentionally wanting to give to you encouragement. Everything God's given us, we want to pass on to you. May you have a double portion of all that we have had. We're going to run with you all the way, should the Lord tarry, until we go and see Him face to face. But may the Lord put a fire in the hearts of millennials. May He put passion within their souls. May God visit you in a way that we even have never seen or known. We are praying, the revival that we are praying for now, that I am praying for, and the fire, the the word that the Lord gave me for us is not just for a church or one uh, place, but I believe we're living in a time, we're living in, uh, you know, I don't know exactly where we are, but I know this. God's, you know, the Jewish people are visibly the the only clock we have of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And if you want to look at 2,000 years of history, the little sliver where we are right now, you are the first generation in 2,000 years, listen, that there even was such a thing as in Israel. For the vast majority of those 2,000 years, where there was the church, there was no Israel. There were just Jewish people scattered. Jesus was crucified. The Romans came and leveled their temple, dispersed them and scattered them to the four corners of the earth. But giving you a very simple 30,000-foot view, God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel, 2,500 years ago, and he used a very prophetic phrase in Hebrew, in the latter years and in the latter days. Again, he didn't narrow it down more than that, but he said, in the latter years and in the latter days, I will take these dead bones, which represented, and we don't even have to guess the interpretation, Ezekiel thirty. 6, 37, 38, 39, he tells us these dead bones, like bleached, you know, dead, they've been dead a long time, coming up out of the sand, all discombobulated are the whole house of Israel in the latter years and latter days. And God says, watch. Because in the, in the face of the whole world, I will bring my original people, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will resurrect them, and I will bring them back to the very place from where it all came from. And did you know that when leading up to the first coming of Jesus, Israel was scattered and sent to Babylon? And then, because they'd been disobedient, and then God said, now I'm going to bring you back from Babylon. You're going to rebuild the temple, and then my Messiah will come. And that happened. They were scattered. Then they came back home. They rebuilt the temple, and then Jesus' the first coming. Then because he scattered him again a second time. And then he prophesied, though, come a time when I will regather them a second time, and the second regathering is the sign that I'm about ready to—the second coming of the Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're living in—I don't know why. I I don't know why, but we have been chosen, I believe, to live at one of the most exciting hours of human history. You got no vote in it. You're here. You're stuck here. God chose you, and there's a calling on your life, and we're being sent, and we're to give— Okay, so Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read this scripture out loud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So that was Paul's uh, strategy and philosophy of reaching the Jewish people. Very, very quickly, I'm just going to briefly mention it here that what God, you know, touched me and spoke to my heart about, because when we were a small little church, missions, you know, was just, I don't know, going locally within San Diego, maybe going to, uh, down to Tijuana in Mexico. And then as the church grew, it started growing and expanding, and finally the Lord said, now you can go and have an impact with the relationships in all the continents of the world. But He also said, but I want you to honor an outreach since I've regathered my people I want you to, you know, put a focus on that. So we have a ministry called the Nehemiah Fund. Uh, I haven't mentioned it in quite a while. Maybe I'll talk about it at another time more. But I just wanted to say we have a specific investment uh, that, that, you know, those whom God touches to give uh, to reach out to the believers that are there. Uh, and the Christians who are there, the Jewish messianic believers who are there, and the Christian Arabs and Palestinians. I mean, we're, we're reaching out to all of them, and there's a lot of exciting things going on there. But the reason for that is, you know, from the scriptures. Uh, Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So God wanted to reach the whole world. And you know you hear, well, the Jews are the chosen people, and then you go, yeah, but the church is the chosen people, and so maybe they, they're not anymore or whatever. But I believe that what God was saying is that those, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who believed in Him, they, were, they are the chosen of God. God has a special role for them as a people, both in the first and second coming. And, um, but they're, it's not that they're better than, they just, there's a divine order. It was to them first, from Abraham to the coming of Jesus. So how many of you have a family and you got more than one kid in your your house? Let me see, raise your hands. Okay. So all of you have a firstborn. It doesn't mean that they're better than, but they're just the first one. And there's only one that's the firstborn. And then everybody comes after that. So Israel is called in the Bible, the firstborn. Um, they're not the only born, and they're not the only kids, and they're not the only chosen. We are too. There are no second-class citizens, but they were the first. So at that moment, though the gospel would go to the whole world, Jesus was focusing on the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, let's go on to the next point. Verses. I want to zero in now in verses 5 through 8. And um, Jesus sent them out and commanded them. I want you to note this in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them. I want you to underline that phrase. We're not only sent, we're not only given power, but he commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and enter into the city of the Samaritans, go to the, uh, rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go... Preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. All right? So, very simply, the kingdom of God in heaven is a huge subject that we, you know, could spend a lot of time talking about. But let me just tell you one simple thing about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is wherever the king is. Wherever the king is, the kingdom of heaven is there. So when Jesus was on the earth, the king was on the earth, and the kingdom of heaven was with him and went before him. How many of you have Jesus inside your heart? Raise your hand. Okay, so you got the king inside of you. So the kingdom of heaven is within you. All right. So in that sense, through the believers, the kingdom is here by the Holy Spirit in all the believers all around the world. But in another sense, we still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is coming back visibly. And how many cannot wait for that? Woo! Hallelujah. Oh, I look forward to that. With all of the craziness of world politics, I am so glad It all gets replaced. Every government and every form of it gets replaced by the kingdom of God. And Jesus is on the throne. He just does the whole thing. Then there will be prayer. That's why we pray for his kingdom to come. But he commanded them. And he gave them special power and authority to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. These are the four ministries parallel to the miracles Jesus just performed in chapters eight and nine. So he just did it. Now he turns around and he says, now you go. He commanded them. You go do what you've seen me do. That word command means to give a military command. It's to give an imperial command. It is an order from the king. And as you go, uh, there will you have power. So hear me as I share this with you. The word power in the Greek is exousia. Exousia means power of choice, liberty to do what Jesus has asked. Secondly, the ability or strength with which one is endued, which you either possess or you have the freedom to exercise, the power of authority, meaning influence, and of right or privilege. There is power. The power is not in you. The power is not in me of ourselves. The power is the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. There is, there is all the power of the, of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me. And I believe that we, are, we, we have just barely begun to use or to exercise the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. We've barely begun to release the power and presence of the Spirit that dwells within us. But it is now time to stretch and to reach out. So if you've been coming to Maranatha, uh, you know, within the last year or so, it, personally, the best way I can describe it is, you know, the Lord started stirring my heart and, and He said, Son, you know, as you we, we do communion here. There's no, you know, set way that every church has to do it, but... Our way of doing it has been we kind of do it at the first weekend of the month, and that's the way to begin the month. And, um, and the Lord said, this is what I felt, uh, heard from my spirit, that, son, if you would start praying for people, especially in communion, when they're meditating and remembering my broken body, my shed blood, um, that's the essence, the power of all I've done for you. If you pray for them then, I will start healing people. So if you've been here in a communion, you know that at the end, then we have people stand up and even stand in proxy for others and lay. And then he said, because used to would be, you know, come up afterwards. And by the way, we have pastors and prayer people that you can come after any service and we'll pray for you. But it was like he goes, I want to expand it. I want to, I want to get activate it, kind of everybody. So a lot of people standing up. Now have them lay hands on one another, a whole congregation. And not only stand up if you're sick, but if you want to stand in for somebody in proxy that can't be here physically. And God, I I don't know, you know, we're asking for, we want you to write down the stories and send them to us because God is answering our prayers. God is doing healings. God is doing miracles. God is touching people. Things are happening. It really is happening. Hallelujah. It's amazing. He, you know, and it, and it happens different ways, different places, or whatever. I'm just telling you, this is kind of how the Lord led me. This is what's happening here, and it's very fresh and new experience, even for our history as a church. And then the Lord said, Now, because there are different keys of healing, God does it in different ways. And one of the ways is by the laying on of hands. So, I had all of you, you know, laying hands on one another. Why the laying on of hands? Because the Spirit of the Lord is in us. We are literally mobile carriers of the glory of the Lord. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us as we walk around. But we don't always exercise our faith in letting the Holy Spirit be released. But now we're being a little more intentional about it. And I feel the joy of the Spirit of the Lord, and that's why he's being released and and doing miracles, and it's exciting. Um, It's very exciting what God is doing. So the power of healing is a manifestation of the kingdom of God that permanently resides within us. Now, I want to drill down on this for a bit, so note your next uh, life lesson here. What is the source of our authority? The source of our authority and power is being seated in Christ in heavenly places. Now, if you've never read this or heard this before, and it's new, think about it, listen to it, but Paul wrote a letter to the church of ancient Ephesus, and, and God used Paul to give a lot of downloads, a lot of divine revelations you know, as I mentioned, on the road to Damascus, he saw the the risen, resurrected, glorified, uh, the glory of the Lord, and the voice of Jesus spoke to him. And man, he wrote some things that are just mind-boggling, and this is one of them. So let's read Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7 out loud. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Note here, the Bible says that believers have been seated past tense, all right, with Christ in heavenly places, all right? And it also says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, about Christ being in heaven, And where, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, wow, the first human being, he rises from the dead, and then he ascends up into heaven, and where does he go? We know where he is. He's not just, you know, hovering or floating around. He's specifically in a place. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high, another expression of God the Father. He's at his right hand. And what is he doing? Well, he is seated. What is he sitting on? a throne. And I I, I just, I'm telling you, this throne that He sits on, the Father says, that's my Son. I sent Him. He did everything that I wanted because I loved the world so much. I gave my only begotten Son. And He did give Himself. And He rose. And now and he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he conquered the devil, and all the demons, and all diseases. He knocked it to the ground, and he stomped on it, just as God had prophesied. I'm going to crush the serpent's head. So, I want you to know, I mean, we, Jesus and the devil went mano a mano, one-on-one, on one. And Jesus won. It's done. It's over. He all, he's won for 2,000 years. He's the victor. He is sitting on the throne of victory and power and authority. Now, here's the exciting part. Wow, yay, Jesus, we love you, worship you, the Lamb of God. But then, so you know as a believer, Christ comes inside of you. He said, I stand at the door of your heart. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with you. He says, we'll have relationship. So Christ is in us, but that's only one side of the coin. Flip the coin on the other side. It's not only true that Christ by His Spirit is in you as a believer, but get ready for this. You are simultaneously seated and have been seated in Christ who is victorious who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who has all power and all authority, seated on a throne, that's where your spirit is. Not only is he in you, but you're in him. You're in two places at the same time. And therefore, when we grow in our understanding of our identity of being in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places, seated with him, And he's on a throne of victory by his power, his glory, his authority, his righteousness, his obedience. Um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about Jesus. But we, we have, now he's commanding us as his sons and daughters, I command you to go out and exercise my power, my authority, my righteousness, and I give you permission to use my name because I'm with you and we're one. And I want you to knock the devil's lights out and I want you to pray for people and I will heal them and I will deliver them. Amen? So I, I put a little note in your notes. I wanted to make a distinction because we're praying for people God's healing people, but he didn't heal everybody. You know, God is the healer, not us. We're merely the sons and daughters, and we get to participate, and we can be a vehicle, and we can release faith, but the healer is God. And I wanted to make this important distinction healing can be a process and a miracle. It's a miracle when it's whole, complete, instantaneous, one and done. It's like it was there and it's gone, boom. That's a miracle. But a healing can happen in degrees, even with Jesus. When one time, blind guy, and, and, you know, Jesus comes up to him, and, and then Jesus asks him, so how's it going? What do you see? He was not instantly healed, but he was partially healed, progressively healed. And when Jesus said, well, what do you see? He said, I see men. Never seen men before, but I see men. But I can't see their faces. I see men like trees. They're walking around. I see their form, but I can't see the features. And then, again, he is touched, and then he is able to see. Process, that's Jesus, okay? So when we pray for people and you go, well, yeah, we prayed, and, but nothing happened. Well, I want to say, what do you mean, did nothing happen? I want to encourage you that when we pray, for instance, you may pray for someone, and let's say that you've, if you were asking them, okay, and a... Scale of 1 to 10, doctors will say, you know, how painful is it? And you're like, hello, 12. (laughs) It's over the top. But then you pray. Let's say they're not completely healed, but... They, they came to church, and they take communion, and they worship the Lord, they pray, because uh, laying on of hands is one way God heals. Unity is another expression that God loves to release His Spirit. Even when, because it's so important in the kingdom of heaven, we're a family, and whenever there's unity, even just two or three, God says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. And in one of the Psalms, God said, wherever I see unity... I will command a blessing from my throne in heaven. Oh, how God loves unity. Oh, how necessary it is for us to come together. So these have been really wonderful, special uh, times of unity. And so, but maybe, you know, not completely, but let's say you went from a 12, and now you came, and then we prayed, and you're like, wow, it's, now it's a 9, at least it's within the range of the 10 that you asked me about, and it's a little bit less than that. It's still way up there, but it's a 9. So then we just go, well, God didn't do anything, and it didn't happen, and yeah, that guy got healed, but I got left over here. But no, wait a second. Hey, I want to I wanna, you know, teach you, encourage you. If it goes from a 12 to a 9... Give God the glory for that decrease of suffering and pain and agony and give him the glory that he released it. Okay, that might be the trees walking thing, but it give God the glory and our faith grows. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. And then what do we do? We keep praying. You don't stop and say, well, I guess that's all you're going to do. No, pray again a second time. We've, maybe it goes from a nine down to a seven. And several months go by, but you're still like praying and then it can go, it can move and move and move and move. And we have had people that have gone from the 12 all the way to it's gone. Can I hear an amen on that? (laughs) Hallelujah. So anyway, this young guy comes up to me last week and he had a ball cap on and his young wife and a couple little kids and he goes, Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray, you know, after we had communion, I just wanted to share with you kind of, it's really exciting. I, I had to tell you personally, and I was out skateboarding. And I was you know, like when I was, you know, a kid, and, and I, whoo, you know, you know how skateboards can leave your feet? So then it went this way, and I fell, and I, I cracked my elbow, I wrenched my wrist, I had this thing in my groin, and I was like, you know, a young 20-year-old walking like an old man, you know, but I came to church, and so we're here, and I didn't want to stand, but then I was like, okay, so, you know, I'm standing up, and people are laying, hand, and then prayer, and then whatever, and then afterwards we're talking, fellowshipping, and, People are, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I don't, it's gone. I don't feel that. I can move my wrist. I, whoo, I feel, I've been healed. Wow, I got healed at church. Hallelujah. So, I want to I wanna sh- uh, share with you, if you have your Bible, open it to, uh, go back with me to the Old Testament. I want you to read a story with me. Speaking of Syria, go to Second Kings chapter 5. This is a great story to, you know, since Syria is on the front page of the news around the world, did you know there's a story about a Syrian guy, a Gentile guy from ancient Syria. He was a commander of the army for the king of Syria. He was a military guy too. I know we have a lot of military people uh, here, especially in San Diego, that have Come through San Diego at one time or another. It says in 2 Kings 5, verse 1 Now Naaman, that was his name, commander of the army of the king of Syria, he's like the top guy, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Not only, by the way, most of the, almost all the stories that the Bible tells about people in the military are good. All the illustrations, parables, and the real guys, centurions that are mentioned in the Gospels and the book of Acts, they were all good guys. God uses those people to help, you know, keep the world from going up in flames many times and, and men of authority and men who understand, you know, and Jesus told parables. So this guy was a good man, honorable man in the eyes of a master. And then listen to this, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Not only was he good at what he did, God, he's not not Jewish, he's not of the belief of the God of Abraham, but God was honoring a Gentile who was in the military and even giving victory to ancient Syria because of this man. He was also a mighty man of valor. He's the kind of guy that all the rest of the military guys respected this guy. But then it says, but a leper. This disease, the incurable, uh, painful, uh, degrading, and humiliating, and all the rest of it. Well, anyway, the story goes on to say how that there was a little Jewish girl that somehow got captured, and she's brought to his family or whatever, and is helping serve, and, and she notices he's a good man. He probably took care of her and treated her well as a servant in the house, and she goes, wow. He goes, "Yeah, Naaman, you're an honorable man, and you're a good man, but if you were back in my home country of Israel, our God, Yahweh, we got this guy that's a prophet. And he, he, God, that God can do anything. He could, he could be healed of this leprosy. So Naaman's like, what? And the story gets to him. And the next thing you know, go down to verse 9. It says, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. The prophet's name was Elisha. So this, this Syrian guy goes into Israeli territory finds the prophet Elisha and goes to his house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now, this is interesting. Elisha doesn't go out and meet the Gentile guy. Uh, He sends a servant, yeah, go tell the guy. What's the guy want? Okay, go tell. And saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean." Here's your miracle. But he sent it by a servant. Look at the reaction of Naaman. But Naaman became furious And he went away because he traveled a long way. And the guy won't even come to the door. And he said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. I've just traveled, you know, far away and from another country. And you send your servant out and stand. I thought he would call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abinah and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? So he gets offended about our rivers and who's got the better rivers, and could I not wash in them and be clean? He thought it was stupid, dumb. What do you mean go to a river? I got leprosy. What's that got, you know, washed in the river? So he turned and he went away in a rage. He's just furious. And his servants came near and spoke to him, and they said, now, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great... Would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? He only asked you to such a little thing, a simple thing. It's an easy thing. Maybe it would work. Go take the trip to the rivers of Jordan. And so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So he got mad, he got offended. Listen, do not get offended when, you know, there are a lot of people that look at God, they point the finger, They play, hey, you're, you're big and you're powerful, you can do whatever you want. I don't see you helping nobody down here and you're not doing it. I don't like the way you're doing it. If I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. Wow, when did God need your opinion on how to work the world and universe and all of that? And then you're going to get mad, like, like you know your little pea brain knows anything about what's going on in the universe, And you're telling God, and so you're going to be mad, and you're going to leave yourself out because you don't want to humble yourself and come His way. He's got another way. Listen, there's a reason that God, there's a reason that God does everything. He's got a reason. We don't always know what it is, but I'll tell you one part of the deal, you got to humble yourself. You are not God. You're not the center of the universe, and you can't judge God and say, if I were you and I had your power, I'd do this or that or whatever. You don't know what in the world you are talking about. Just shut your mouth. Stop it. And like the servant said, look, if he asked you to do some big hard thing, you'd probably try but at least just go try it. It's a, it's a humbling thing. So the man asked to travel down to Israel, down to the Jordan River, muddy river. And then God could have done it just once. Why? You know, he's God, right? He wants to prove I'm the God, and I want to reach all the Syrians, and here's this commander. If I reach him, I could reach a whole nation. Just dip down one time. God could have done that, but he doesn't. He specifically says you've got to do it seven times. Look, God knows everything, right? I think God knows this guy is a good guy. God knows he's going to believe, but God is going to teach him a lesson that will transform his life. And one of the things God's going to teach him is, even when you don't understand my ways, just do it out of obedience and watch what happens. So I can imagine he's down in the Jordan River. (laughs) He's like, I roll in his eyes. Servant's like, okay, here we go. Go down, you know, (laughs) And he comes back up and he's dripping. He goes, Look, I've got leprosy, nothing. He goes down again, and he stands up, nothing. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Six times I did this, and now I only got one left. God loves putting Himself on the line. Either I'm God, and I do what I say, and I have the power I claim to have, or I don't. I told you to dip yourself seven times. Now, do dip yourself one last time. And he goes, (laughs) he comes up. And the glory of God comes upon his body. You know that. You know that man with leprosy felt something when that leprosy slipped off his skin and he became like a little boy with fresh skin and he was still, yes, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Holy One, I will serve him. So, now you have a testimony. So what I'm saying is don't get discouraged. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't dictate to God how he has to do it or even when he has to do it. You just exercise faith. You be his son, his daughter. You learn whatever lessons you need. Probably we've got a lot of humbling to do so that when the miracle really happens, he gets all of the glory and we don't take some of it for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Whew, I had a lot of coffee this morning, and I'm just letting you know. (laughs) Okay, so back, let's go back. We've got to finish up uh, the last few verses real quick concerning our attitude toward the world. And I think this is a very important last lesson of application uh, for us this morning. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus says, now, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Basically, Jesus says, don't pre-plan to take care of yourself. You will, the people, their hearts will melt when you heal them and minister to them and deliver them. They'll give you a place to sleep and they'll feed you. And basically, I love what my pastor taught me about finances. And he, he said, where God guides... God provides. If it's of God, He'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. He'll provide for you. Where God guides, God provides. Then in verse 11, He says, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Look, you guys are going with with divine power, supernatural power. Uh, Demonic spirits are going to be knocked out and knocked off. The miracles are going to happen, and, and so you find the man of peace. If they listen to you, if they're open to you, and they take care of you, bless them. And if they don't, just turn around, walk away, and go, because they, they are having a divine revelation that is walking in their midst. And I, I love how Jesus doesn't say, stay there, argue with them, debate with them, and force them. He says, just go. I want to give you a little... Uh, quick, simple application what that means. Sometimes Christians, especially when we're young believers sometimes, we're very zealous and very excited and our eyes are open and we can see everything and we're like, oh my gosh. And we go to our family and we grab them by the throat and we are going to witness to them. They have to know and believe what we see and we won't let them go. And they're like, ah! And they go, you're scaring the daylights out of me. Right? We're scaring them. You can't, the gospel doesn't need to be forced, debated, you know, pounded in. Um, when people are ready, and, and sometimes you, you, you're all excited, you start sharing, and they're like, ah. if they're not into it, say, it's okay. I'm going to just, I'll leave, I'll go. And the next guy is like, yeah, I'm kind of curious. I'm interested. I got some questions. Yeah, talk to me. So the man of peace, Jesus said, go to them. Where the door is open, go there. Because what will happen is, the guy says, no, 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 I don't want to hear anything. Oh, la, 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 or whatever. It's not the right time. But you step back, you go over here, and you touch someone else, and he watches, and he waits, and they observe your life for a while. And they go, you know what? I thought you were freaky and weird, and you still are, but you got something that I don't got. And now that you're not so got me by the throat, and I think I could actually have a conversation with you, I'm ready to listen. Let's talk. Now, then you go. So, in a way, that's my modern paraphrase of Jesus saying, don't, you know, well-meaning, sometimes aggressive types go, and they don't, you're not going to get anywhere, and you're, you're, you're going to just delay. So, just wait. When the Holy Spirit is ready and has primed them, and they've been watching and observing, and then they see something, and then they're ready to engage in a conversation, that's when you take it, and that's when you move forward. Amen. Amen. All right, let's close our Bibles and let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for how you were ministering to them, the disciples, and we're your modern disciples, and we, we pray for wisdom and for grace, how to, how to apply all of this uh, to our own times. And we definitely need your help. And we humble ourselves. Lord, forgive us for often giving you advice, <laughs> dictating, demanding, or for that matter, getting angry with you because you don't act the way we think you should act. Forgive us. Uh, and I thank you that you do and that you know our frame. You know that we are uh, just dust and we're like sheep. And um, I thank you for your love and grace and mercy and patience. But I pray that some here today will hear it and grab onto it and then be anointed by you and then send us, Lord, in our culture, within our communities and our environs and schools and homes and neighborhoods and communities and workplaces that we might bring the aroma of the love of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.